1: Here in the Republic, certainly, we're we're following the uh, experience of Britain over the past few years, and Britain, uh, of course, followed the experience of North America. So whilst large supermarkets sort of spread through the States in perhaps 30 years ago or or even more, uh, and have been expanding since, and from there you move into the uh, regional shopping centre or the, the sort of hypermarket concept as it's been developed on the continent of Europe, so you get the same phenomena moving through britain and here in the republic we've had supermarkets developing over the perhaps last 10-15 years uh, and plant centres moving in over the last um, decade or so i think Stillorgan was probably the first that was actually developed in the country
2: i found myself on the continent and finding some difficulty in getting the sort of job that would teach me anything about the kitchens or the the Grow, about the hotel business, and eventually ended up in, in shops again. And it was there that I got quite excited about what seemed to be happening. I'd seen self service before, and I'd, I knew what it was happening, and we'd had self service in Dunleary. And there were a couple of companies in Ireland, certainly one supermarket chain, H. Williams, were already in the, in the supermarket business at that stage in Dublin. But I hadn't seen the development to a wider range of goods than food. Uh, I could see newspapers, books, suites, um, many cosmetics and other products being sold in a self-service method because the packaging was right, the display was right, and the ability to allow customers to spend their time choosing the goods was right. And uh, obviously the costs were right because instead of having to pay somebody to serve individually, each customer came in, the customer came in, did the work herself, and only used an assistance time at the checkout point. And I became enthusiastic about this and came back and spoke about it and spoke about the potential it must have in Irish retailing at around about the same time as it was just beginning to get off the ground. So I was very lucky to get involved in the trade uh, at that stage uh, because it was uh, a very embryo stage. The supermarket is a radical
0: change for the Irish consumer. What we're seeing now in the cities and rural towns... The entry of supermarket chains, or affiliated grocery groups, or indeed the transformation of local shops into mini-markets, as one shopfront I saw recently proudly proclaimed, is the logical marketing extension of the developments of the 20s and 30s in North America and the immediate post-war years in Europe. That's where
2: Fergal Quinn got
0: so excited, in France.
2: What I saw over there were small shops using a self-service method for more than just grocery goods. Um, for instance, I mentioned that the news agency. It seemed to me at that stage that this was an ideal way to run a bookshop or um, a newspaper shop, We walked into a shop and there was a wide variety, in a comparatively small shop, a very wide variety of reading material in which you could spend quite some time looking at the paperbacks, looking at the magazines, looking at the newspapers, make your decision, and then walk down with those to the checkout and pay for them there. The way we bought at home if we went in for a newspaper in those days, would be to go to a counter and to say, I'll have a copy of The Irish Independent, and uh, could I have a look at that magazine behind the counter? And the assistant would take five minutes, perhaps, of her time or his time to serve you um, while you made your decision as to what you wanted. Now, in fact, what happened was that you, you usually didn't make the decision. You very often didn't go to the trouble of buying those or of, of interesting yourselves in investigating that magazine, and the sales were just a lot lower. And uh, it was obvious to me that when people went into the newsagent shop, as an example, they bought more than they would otherwise have bought. And uh, the cost of selling to them was obviously a lot less than it would otherwise have been. So that part of the uh, development of self-service
0: was uh, self-protection by the trader. It needed the lower costs in order to keep going. There was also a question of uh, larger populations making a demand
2: on the same shop. Yes, I think so. Uh, Both the larger population making a demand and therefore more use per square foot of that shop and the lower costs. But probably the the essential difference, uh, apart from the cost factor, was the fact that once people had time and the opportunity to investigate any product, they were more likely to buy it. If you picked up a magazine and could just glance through it, you were more likely to buy that product. Now this was always said about the grocer business, and always had been said that if you could uh, get a customer to pick the tin of boot polish into her hand get into her hand, it was already three quarters sold. But in the old days, that boot, boot polish polish was behind the counter and on a shelf behind, and therefore the opportunity of her to do it didn't take didn't take um, place too easily and It was the development back in the oh the twenties in America where uh, a supermarketeer or he wasn't he didn't know what he was at that stage where he, he was running short of staff, finding difficulty in, 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 the, in trying to run his shop with the counters. And he decided it wouldn't be a bad idea to shove the counters against the wall and put the goods on the counters and hope that customers would not steal too much. Everybody said they would, but he developed that way in Tennessee, and he found that he shoved the counters back, put the goods on top of the counters, and put his cash desk at the front of the shop rather than um, behind the counter. And it suddenly worked, because not solely did he find the customers paid less or that his costs were less but mainly that customers picked goods into their hands were interested when they picked them up and had already been three quarters sold and ended up buying a lot more than they originally had intended to buy
0: Three strands identify the pattern First, the supermarket as such a single shop carrying a large range of grocery goods, provisions and sundries operating on a high turnover and low profit margin basis and devoting as much space as possible to display and as little to service Second, the grocery chain, based on a wholesale distribution franchise, either on a cooperative structure or initiated by a manufacturer-distributor. or These were mainly set up to attempt to assist the smaller shop to compete with the bulk purchasing power of the supermarkets. And third, the planned shopping centre, or the hypermarket, where many different shops are part of the one compact complex, and that often contains a supermarket among them. All three have a firm foothold throughout the country now. Dr A.J. Parker is an urban geographer who has been conducting a survey about the effect of this change in
1: selling patterns on the consumer. We did find that somewhere in the region of two-thirds of the population uh, patronise large supermarkets, and therefore, uh, if people behave rationally or behave according to the beliefs that they feel or perhaps express in terms of their motivation, then one would expect them to match up these motivations with their actual behaviour. In terms of actually comparing one type of store, say a supermarket, with another type of store, then we didn't specifically ask them this. Uh, Rather, we did ask them perhaps their attitudes towards uh, large supermarkets or planned shopping centres. And what did you find as a result of that? Um, The vast majority of the population were uh, reasonably pleased with large supermarkets, there were a number of um, factors that perhaps could be improved. For instance, uh, whilst the majority of the population felt that uh, range of goods, reputation, cleanliness, opening hours and accessibility were um, certainly features which pleased them as far as large supermarkets were concerned. And of course, bear in mind that they exist throughout most of the city, although perhaps they're less apparent in the inner city areas. There were factors like, say, uh, the social aspects, the meeting place, where um, the vast majority of the population tended to feel that uh, supermarkets didn't necessarily provide uh, good facilities. Curiously enough, uh, service, in fact, was only felt to be um, a good aspect of supermarkets by about 54% of the population, and less than 70% felt that they offered inexpensive prices, which is curious considering that, in fact, uh, they are um literally cheaper places to shop than say the affiliated retailers or the independent grocers uh, the sort of corner store there are inevitably variations that exist both between different areas of Dublin and also between different socioeconomic groups that compose society uh, who are to a considerably extent uh, spatially diverse throughout the city for instance the southern suburbs, uh, you find that perhaps prices are regarded as being uh, better in large supermarkets than they are by, say, people living in the south inner city. This probably uh, is because the uh, patronage varies considerably between different areas. So, inevitably, people's ideas, uh, their opinions about supermarkets, as well as other kinds of shops, will be related to their experience, Um If, in fact, they haven't actually patronised a supermarket, if they haven't perhaps gone to one in the recent past, then it's difficult for them to make an accurate assessment of whether or not uh, they are good places to shop, whether they have a wide range of goods, whether they're well-designed, whether they have convenient opening hours. And inevitably, they will rely to a considerable extent, therefore, not upon personal experience, but upon the uh, information that they glean from the media, that they get from papers, and also word of mouth from friends. Two-thirds of the people, then, are favourably
0: disposed to the supermarket, using the term loosely. The impact on shopping and trading patterns is enormous, and the alteration in everybody's lifestyle is extensive. If supermarkets are responsible, are they responsive? Do they fill a social role as the row of small shops in the community did? Rory Quinn, architect and city councillor.
3: To a large extent it depends on where the supermarket is located. If you have the, take for example the very large out-of-town shopping centres where people go to them to shop and come away, I don't think that they form any kind of permanent community function in the sense that you go back to the same person or you say hello to them or they know you, unless you're doing it very frequently, because the nature of that kind of shopping is that you do it once a week or once a month and all the sort of economic advice now is that you have a deep freezer or you have this thing and you, you buy in bulk and you buy less frequently. And that means less contact. And therefore the the daily shopping that was the traditional norm of necessity produced a, a community relationship because of the frequency of contact that didn't exist and couldn't exist in um, a situation where people shop once a month take for example Dunn stores out on the uh, south side of Dublin you know if if we go there it's perhaps once a month and you go in and you go out and it's a long sort of murderous sort of night in which you get all that you have to buy and get out of it whereas the the local shops in Sandymount where we live you know the people they know you because you're using them by and large every day for, for casual shopping or whatever So, the large supermarket, I mean, the really very big one, I don't think has that that community role. The small supermarket, the one that um, is in every sort of suburban shopping centre, I think does have a community role because if people are using it fairly frequently, then they establish contact with the people. And a good supermarket and a good shopkeeper and staff on that side will make it their business to know people and and to know
2: what they want and to know... um, What's going on? It's amazing how well customers get to know their the staff, how well they get to know the checkout girl, how well they get to know the butcher or the 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 um, bacon man behind the counters. And I think it's much more likely that uh, this this particular uh, aspect of the trade will have to be looked upon by the um, supermarket operators in the next few years because they are in danger of losing this by allowing the shops to become quite impersonal if they don't work on it and there's a lot of work being done now by involving staff by involving management by as we've done in our company opening a courtesy kiosk at each checkout uh, sorry at each in each store in order to enable the customer to get to know the um, manager where he is how to find him and where to solve the problems that are there there's an awareness that it's it's that supermarkets are obviously a little bit less personal than the grocery store and although they make up for it in many other ways Particularly in cost and variety and selection, um, the question of personality is one that supermarkets recognise as a problem, and they're going to have to work very hard towards solving.
4: We usually try to try to pick out a girl that'll say, you know, with a good personality and cheerful, and a girl that knows the running of the shops and that can come along and help the customer. We'll say, if if, if I was tied up for the moment now, which I would be sometimes, with uh, representatives calling and ordering and that. She'll know exactly what to do, and she'll tell the customer, you know, explain why the delay and so on. And in most cases, the girl on the courtesy desk can solve the problem, if so, you know, if you could call it a problem. Maybe it's a woman who cannot find uh, a, a particular item, and she'll go around on the shop floor and find it for them. But if it's a complaint, now a customer, for instance, having a, a complaint on bread or something, on any, any merchandise that she might buy in the shop, whether it be a damaged tin or whatever, the, the policy on that is that right then and there, in front of the customer, a call is made to the various suppliers. Or, you know, if it's a bread complaint, the bread supplier is called right on the spot. Uh, the reason being behind that is that sometimes customers might feel that, well, you know, the complaint is not being handled. But it's a standard modus operandi, if you'd like, now in this shop, that when the customer walks up and says, there's bread, it's mildewed, or there's cheese, it's not correct right there in front of them, the complaint is called in to the various suppliers, then the customer knows that if, for instance, if there is a, a delay in the follow-up, she will definitely not point the finger at the and say, you know, they didn't even call in the complaint in the first place, because anyone, and this is not just managers or system managers or the get on the desk anybody that handles a complaint calls it in in front of the customer to say, madam, would you mind waiting here now, I'll call them right now, gets on the phone, and that's how the complaint is handled. We found that, uh, you know, it's, a very, it's the best way for us to handle a complaint.
0: Just as being seen to be done.
4: Uh, yeah, exactly, in front of the customer. No such thing is saying, you know, on a little bit of paper, sorry, we'll do that this evening now. The only time that we cannot do it is at lunchtime, when most of the suppliers are, are, are closed down. But if it's between, we'll say, nine and one, or between two and six, the complaint is handled
0: right in front of the customer. The effect of the physical buildings of supermarkets and shopping centres is something that may not reach the individual shopper immediately or obviously, but the presence of such a building in a community has considerable impact, and even the effect of smaller aspects of it, as Rory Quinn remarks. Take, for example, lettering. We have in in this country a very fine
3: tradition of lettering, Uh, quite unique but um, in its own right um, something that has been aesthetically recognised. Yet today, there's no transfer of that tradition to supermarkets, who are perhaps one of the major users of such lettering. And you could have any supermarket around the Dublin area, for that matter, within the country at large. There's basically no difference, if you look at it up front, uh, than any other supermarket. And it really could be anywhere between London and Los Angeles. And so what I would consider to be important in urban design terms, uh, a sense of place, the capacity for supermarkets to generate a sense of place is lost because they have no sense of place. They could be anywhere. That would be, I think, one of the major aesthetic criticisms that one would make of of supermarkets in that sense. The answer to it is a far more difficult one because you can't just scale up the old lettering from a small shop that may have been the size of a domestic house and put it on a building that is the size of a uh, converted factory. It's a design problem that I think we are now beginning to recognise, but we haven't yet begun to uh, look for proper solutions. If you take, for example, some of the shops in Renola with the timber carving on the outside of it, and even the, the, the names, name panels and those, perhaps one of the most beautiful shops in the whole of Dublin, if not the whole of Ireland, is the Sandy Mount hardware stores with the, the elegant bow window. So that kind of variety tends to disappear. And I think it can be measured in this sense, that if you look at an old suburb or an old town, an established town, and look at the range of shops and the range of visual variety that they generate, and contrast that with a new suburb with the supermarket or the shopping centre, and you know where you might have had 20 units before, you now have maybe have two or three. So the the overall variety has been reduced... And the aesthetic of that variety has been
0: totally impoverished in the process. There's also another design problem in respect of the new suburbs uh, in that the shopping centre is not necessarily designed merely to accommodate the people of the new estate. Mm-hmm. It, the, this, the attempt is to attract shoppers from all over that quarter of the city mm-hmm. so that you've got a parking problem uh, Traffic circulation problem. I'm speaking of traffic in the broad sense, pedestrian as well as vehicular. Well, this, of course, is is one of the things
3: that has created the the outer town shopping centre, and the, the large supermarket, um, and it's a real problem because it's forcing us to redesign our city, and forcing us to to change the sort of the visual impact of the city in that it's less compact and more spread out, and many shopping centres appear to be islands in in the midst of a sea of cars. There's no easy solution to this because people want cars, they want the the personal mobilities that that cars undoubtedly give them. Um, The shoppers have to respond to this reality that people have cars and will drive to a shop where they can park. And many shops have suffered severely as a result of one-way street schemes or or the introduction of of parking prohibitions. Um, I know, for example, in, in the old village of Black Rock, the commercial Hartford was knocked out of virtually by the the sheer volume of the traffic but I think the problem is in in again a design one in in trying to design the cars and the the shops in in a way that doesn't sort of have the the cars crowding the shops Uh, and there are some successful examples of that and some very unsuccessful examples of it Um, there's also the I suppose the lack of discipline that we all have and that we feel that we have a right to drive up to the front door of every building that we want to visit if we're in a car. And so you get very difficult uh, situations driving to some of the shopping centres as against others. But the bonus is that once you get out of your car and get into the pedestrian area, that if you have small children or if you're not so steady on your feet, you don't have the constant worry of traffic and you don't have the constant fear of, of letting go of their hand for fear that they'd run out under the car so you can revert back to a much more relaxed type of shopping in where you can actually browse and, and just do what I think the city is all about, just look at the choice that it has on offer and take your time over it and, and um, meet people, talk to people because if we don't have that kind of bonus in a city if we don't have that kind of facility what's the point of being together I mean you could live on your own and, and operate by mail order if you're not going to, to talk to people or if you're not going to uh, be in a situation where physically the presence of other people is an occasion for um, exchange of ideas and, and just straightforward companionship if once it begins to be a hassle or murderous or, or difficult then the city as an ideal begins to break down
0: The shopping centre, as such, in Dublin anyway, has tended to form either the nucleus of new suburbs or a later addition to them, but certainly a major part of them and almost the equivalent of designing a new town centre, as had to be done after the Second World War in so many British and continental towns. Has the shopping centre followed the post-war pattern?
1: Dr A.J. Parker again. Certainly in the planning context, much has been sort of learnt... uh from the redevelopment of central areas. Certainly the central areas that were redeveloped uh, straight after the last war um, continued this idea that, in fact, the central area was the prime shopping area and that the uh, shops elsewhere in the suburbs were largely the sort of small corner nucleations, perhaps two, three, four shops dealing essentially with uh, day-to-day convenience goods. Um, The later developments, such as, say, uh, Coventry particularly, Um, are ones where, in fact, there is an interrelationship between planned centres in the suburbs uh, and the central area. The central area is beginning increasingly to concentrate on specialist luxury goods, department stores, uh, and by this one is thinking in terms of not so much the uh, more popular... Um, stores that sell perhaps mainly clothing and sort of household items, but the ones which sell the whole range of everything from carpets through to uh, electrical goods as well as uh, inevitably a a wide range of clothing, uh, not purely for children but also for adult suits and so on and so forth. Whereas, in fact, the planned shopping centre is coming in uh, at a level between the central area and the corner shop, the, the sort of row of three or four convenience shops, and it's representing if you like, uh, goods which are demanded less frequently than, say, the uh, the loaf of bread, the packet of cornflakes, but more frequently than perhaps the three-piece suite which one would expect to make comparisons between different shops, between different uh, suites of furniture, and which inevitably would involve one uh, in this degree of comparison between different shops which exist within the central area. So uh, much has probably been learnt, actually, in the planning uh, and pedestrianisation, particularly both of central areas and of planned shopping centres, from the developments of the uh, other type of retail, uh, retail system. Of
0: course, the basic claim of the supermarket is that, because of its economies of scale, it's cheaper. Dr Parker was a little surprised at the attitudes of the people he surveyed in respective prices
1: whether people are actually aware that they are cheaper places to shop or not uh, is something that's perhaps sort of slightly different. Um, Certainly the the actual rationality, the uh, ability to synthesise information, the uh, simple awareness uh, of one place being cheaper than another, that one place offering bargains, is something that's uh, highly personal to the individual. Is also something which, in fact, a number of individuals... uh, don't, perhaps, manage to rationalise in uh, a strictly accurate way. Um, for instance, one of the findings was that uh, although a substantial number of people perhaps said that they were primarily price-motivated uh, in their grocery shopping in deciding which store to go to, uh, you found that there was still a, a reasonable percentage who of these people who, in fact, said uh, that they didn't shop in large supermarkets. Uh, so, although saying that they were primarily motivated by looking for inexpensive prices. Uh, they, in fact, patronized perhaps, say, uh, the small corner store, who, in fact, um, is the most expensive type to shop in. Uh, of course, you of know, course, small corner stores uh, do offer a wide range of other facilities, such as, say, um, personal service, the opportunity for social interaction, uh, the opportunity, in fact, perhaps for uh, credit facilities, should these be demanded by the uh, the public um, they don't of course uh, offer the inexpensive prices they don 't of course offer the same range of goods, but there are sort of variations I suppose, in terms of the uh, the patronage and what people actually see their motivation as being um, the mythology, i suppose, if it is a mythology, perhaps has been um, built up around sort of the whole variety of price surveys and so on and so forth that have been carried out by a variety of organisations and um, these perhaps consumers may regard uh, with some scepticism and they don't inevitably have the uh, time or ability to travel around and make their own sort of personal assessment on a very wide scale. Perhaps what is necessary is that Uh, the truth of these surveys be brought out in a more systematic fashion, perhaps in, say, government-backed information and education centres, such as those currently being operated in the UK. The respective value to be had in supermarkets and small shops may not be completely
0: as stated by Dr Parker. This was discussed three weeks ago on Here and Now by Moray Dallan of the Housewives Association and the National Prices Commission, and Peter O'Connor and Tim Nolan representing a supermarket chain and a cooperative group, respectively.
5: The National Prices Commission did a survey, and we found that uh, for vegetables, the small shops were far better than the supermarkets. We found, in fact, that uh, uh, supermarkets stocked mostly second-class uh, uh, vegetables, Uh, where, although the uh, supermarket managers claimed that the standards weren't high enough, nevertheless, they seldom stocked class one. And furthermore, there was little or no difference between the price charged for the class two vegetables in the supermarkets and the class one in the small shops. So I think we have to keep an eye on the small shops. We have to keep them there in business. This is the way we put pressure on the big ones uh, to give us some sort of return. Yes, well, what about that? There was a word of in, in favour of the, of the small shops. Tim Nolan, no doubt that's one you would agree with.
0: Well, over the years uh, in group trading, we have always maintained that a small shop, or not necessarily a very small shop, but uh, when the owner is running his own shop, he can afford to give a better service than employed staff. Uh,
5: mm-hmm. Peter O'Connor, what do you think of that?
0: Well, uh, Roddy... We have always
3: tried over the years too uh, in the supermarket industry to provide guaranteed freshness and on the question of fresh vegetables uh, all supermarkets uh, receive two or three deliveries of fresh vegetables a day and these are checked constantly for quality and uh, texture and so on. On the question of uh, fresh meat we don't prepack meats as a rule uh, it's fresh is cut there for you uh, by the butchers or by the bacon men or at our delicatessen counters. Uh, we are constantly aware of a need to provide uh, non-spot service in meat and bacon and delicatessen products and fresh fruit and vegetables.
0: And here again, Peter O'Connor's claims in respect of meats don't apply universally. The principal gain, a lot of people think, is not from the supermarket itself, but from competing supermarkets, undercutting each other in what might be termed a price war. But how real is that benefit to the consumer? John Foley, a journalist, deals regularly with consumer affairs and conducts regular reviews
6: of comparative prices. I think the the pricing policy of supermarkets here is pretty keen. Um, In some stores you will find things cheaper than others. Naturally, that depends on the attitude of the store, on their purchasing power, on their context, and how they operate their business. But I think, generally speaking, for um, the... The basics uh, for the main items which a household or a family need, the prices in supermarkets, are pretty competitive. And this has been, I think, proven by the recent surveys done by the National Prices Commission, at least done by the inspectors of the Prices Division for Industry and Commerce and published in the National Prices Commission reports. Uh, they, they showed, uh, the most recent one showed, I think, for July, that uh, a survey done in, in, in um, Dublin, Cork, Galway, Limerick, I think Waterford, There was very little real difference in price uh, for a, a fairly wide range of household goods, including food items. Part of that ability to take a halfpenny off
0: this and a penny off that and so present a more reasonable price list is the fact that supermarket profit margins per item are very low. Dangerously low, some accountants would say. But as against that, there is a high rate of casual loss. It has even been reported that some chains have built in a figure for pilferage into their projections of profit
2: and loss, Fergal Quinn. No, there's not a built-in provision um, because everybody hopes it won't occur, but it's a recognised factor that uh, the word used is shrinkage, um, not because it's a nice word to use, but because we just don't know what it is. Um, if we buy, if we sell a £1,000 worth, I worded that wrong, yes, if, if one takes in a £1,000 worth of cash, one knows that there's something missing. Um, It may have, should have been perhaps 1,010 or 1,020 or 1,002. But it occurs from so many different areas that we're never quite sure. For instance, it is genuine shrinkage if we buy 112 pounds of bacon, that's uh, 100 weight of bacon, and we put it in the cold store for the night. The following morning, there might well only be 111 pounds because the moisture from it has dried out. And therefore, that is actual shrinkage, and we have to allow for that. On the other hand, it's fairly obvious that if you sell uh, ten a box of 11-pound of grapes, that there will always be a few grapes left in the bottom of that box, um, and you won't actually get 11-pound out of it, and you'll only get 10-pound 8 ounces or perhaps something like that. Uh, therefore, there are the, the shrinkage that basically isn't dishonesty. The other aspect of... of um, the The shrinkage part that is dishonesty comes at three different places. It comes from the customer who steals, it comes from the uh, staff member who perhaps steals, and it comes from the back door, the delivery man um who never delivered the products that he uh, that was that were signed for because perhaps the store was too busy to check them accurately. As you can picture a supermarket doing uh, perhaps two or three million pounds a year might find great difficulty in checking in uh, a delivery of uh, three or four hundred cases from one supplier of varied products. And it's this sort of um, area, any one of these areas, could account for a considerable amount of shrinkage, which may come to 1% or 2%. But uh, that doesn't sound perhaps a great deal until one realises that the net profit that a supermarket operates under is perhaps something similar, another 1% or 2%. And therefore, shrinkage or pilferage could account for practically half or three-quarters of the total net profit of that company
0: a problem obviously less easy to cope with than in the old small shop. In fact, regardless of the growth of self-service stores, affiliated groups and supermarkets, out of nearly a thousand shops of all sorts in Dublin, two-thirds are still the old-style shop-on-the-corner with counter-service, and they're finding a new role with the growth and development of the supermarket. Vera McGuckin works in a small specialist grocery in an inner Dublin suburb.
5: This... Shop here is open for four years. And trade here has been building all the time. In fact, they have brought business here. I mean, the people that we deal with here will shop in the supermarket, but they come in here and they buy things that they don't like to buy in the supermarket. Much rather buy them here, for instance, vegetables, cheese particularly. They will not. They don't like cheese in the supermarket. They love buying cheese here. They love buying fresh vegetables here because they feel they're always fresh and always very good first-class stuff. And they don't mind if it's a penny or two-pence extra.
0: But at the same time, there have been other shops in the area which have closed down since the supermarkets came in.
5: Well, I don't know. I think it must be bad management or something, really, because personally the business is in Bagger Street. I mean, I think personally myself that Bagger Street is going to be a real business shopping centre eventually. I mean, you have to if you have a small shop, you definitely have to be on your toes all the time, and you must uh, treat the people nicely. You have to really treat them as... Someone that's your own personal friend or something, you must treat them very well and have everything they want, no matter what they want, you must always have it and always be prepared to get it if you haven't got it. You just don't go along and say, no, we haven't got it, we just can't get it. You must get it, you must have it. And if you do that, you will have the business and you will do a very good business. So
0: that the supermarkets have changed the approach of the small shopkeeper yes, to the business.
5: Yes, they have, really. The small shopkeeper still has to keep on the stores because, naturally, a housewife is looking around and she's going to see where she'll get the best value for the least money, I suppose. But I think if she gets a personal service and someone that she can come in and speak to and buy at the same time, she will come to the smaller shop. Myself, I'm all on for the smaller shop. Not because I'm in one, but uh, I like it. I like to go out and shop in a small shop.
0: But there's also pressure on the small shopkeeper to keep perhaps a wider range of stock and uh, to make sure that he's competitive in, in cost with the supermarkets.
5: Well, yes, but I think you can always have a shop which will keep a range of stuff that the supermarket won't be interested in, or a brand of stuff that the supermarket is not interested in. For instance, here we have a lot of uh, wines now, which a supermarket wouldn't keep because they're a dearer price wine, and a better type, a better type of wine. Well, you will get the people that will come in for that type of wine, cheese the same you will get people coming for all kind of uh, variety of cheeses and if you go in for that type of thing you will definitely do the business
0: in other words the the small shopkeeper must try and keep a wide range but attempt to specialize
5: specialize in something specialize in things that you won't have to go to a supermarket you just go to uh, more or less select shop for what you want but the business is definitely there for the small man i think personally
0: a question of a need for flair for personal style perhaps something like the style pat quinn brought to his operation creating a sense of personal acquaintance with the boss in thousands of customers who didn't ever see him personally shopkeepers in rural towns are in one way attempting to do this in their conversion to self-service and in the adoption of titles such as supermarket or even mini-market. They're hardly real supermarkets in any business definition of the term, but that doesn't matter according to Rory Quinn. Really what what they're saying is that they are a self-service store
3: and that their range of, of goods has been expanded from being simply a food store to having some maybe newspapers or some hardware stuff so that they are a supermarket and that they've extended their range. But they're, they're a different scale of operation. I don't take obsession to the name, I must say, supermarket, uh, because what's the size of a town? I mean, what's the size of a city? Limerick is a city of 60,000. Dublin is a city of 500,000. Is Limerick any less of a city because it's only 60 and, and Dublin is 500,000? I wouldn't think so. Limerick, to me, is very much a city. Um, so a supermarket in a small town, maybe with a floor area 10%, of that of of Dunn's stores is still for the people who use it a
2: supermarket.
0: Where does the supermarket go from here? In the rest of Western Europe there are now over 700 hypermarkets. Not huge supermarkets and not multiple shopping centres but enormous selling factories selling not only a full range of foods but also a wide range of other commodities all under one roof and the roof averages over 60,000 square feet. They're usually either on the edge of or just outside the built-up area and therefore have sufficient land to provide extensive parking usually at least three times as great as the selling area and discount petrol sales are an added attraction to motorists. Great economies of scale and handling are achieved by mass selling which is self-service brought to nearly its ultimate conclusion. Goods are supplied direct from the manufacturer to the retailer, ready labelled and priced, and are sent in metal containers which can be wheeled into the hypermarket and used as a display to sell direct to customer. A large number of checkouts reduces the bottleneck we usually associate with the checkouts of supermarkets, and late opening throughout the week not only means great convenience, but also increased trade a hypermarket near Lyon with 200,000 square feet of selling area, selling everything from foodstuffs to furniture, does nearly half of its business after tea time and has a turnover of nearly half a million pounds weekly. Could that happen here? One hypermarket, maybe, to a town? John Foley.
6: I would doubt it. I, I would I would have thought that the sturdy individualism of the Irish and the, their ability to see a business opportunity uh, plus the desirability of having uh, adequate and proper and real competition would have uh, eliminated that situation at the, at the very outset. Um, I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, it, it may work in some countries, uh, but here where there is a, a great deal of emphasis at present on uh, prices on a value for money and on competition, I think the, 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 there would be a desire on the part of, say, the Restricted Practices Commission or the National Prices Commission or, in fact, Industry and Commerce, to ensure that people had a choice, which is one of the main uh, consumer demands, one of the four or five uh, main consumer demands, which is a choice and, of goods at a reasonable price. The the implication of the question, I think, or of the, the um, situation that you describe is that one store provides, one firm provides all the needs of a community. Well, if that's the situation, the community is deprived of choice uh, and possibly is uh, at the mercy of someone who would be unscrupulous in his pricing policy.
0: Whether or not the hypermarket will come to Ireland, one thing is certain. The retail trade structure is not static, any more than it has been at any time this century. Even the most successful supermarket entrepreneurs must keep an eye to the rear – for some new method may be about to overtake them. What it might be, no one yet knows, except that it will, as in the
2: past, combine a better sales outlet with cheaper service. It was a mixture of these two things, the opportunity to buy and the cost factor, because while the growth of the consumer society may have been there, the 20s and 30s in the States, certainly the 30s in the United States, showed that there was a a huge shortage of spare spending power. And it was at that point that people became very conscious of value. And if one company was able to sell goods at costs and at prices that were lower than others, than another company, then obviously the public went to that shop to buy because they just couldn't afford not to. Now, I think that's liable to occur right around in cycles. And the history of retail and the history of shopping occurs in cycles. The age of the department store, the age of the supermarkets, the age of the the out-of-town shopping centres. These are current cycles where they have an in time and then a time where something else comes in and takes the business away from them. Usually what happens in that cycle is that costs begin to develop and begin to go upwards. And somebody comes in with a new idea with lower costs and takes the business right away from underneath the previous um, holder of the business, whatever trade that happened to be, so that we may well see in the coming year or two a development in retailing which um, solely due to economic circumstances may be a lower cost method of trading.